Miss Maury Brown, come on up here. That's right. I'm nervous already. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to throw this podium right off of this stage. I'm going to move it back a little bit. I want to just say a quick blessing over you, Marty. Um, this lady has given and given uh, to us, our families, our children. Uh, my boys, when they were little, little tykes, were in the children's ministry when Miss Marty was leading the children's ministry there. And then countless other people, not just going through this a church ministry, but at Father's Love, uh, over uh, 20 years of ministry going into now multiple generations of ministering to multiple generations. And so, Miss Marty, you have given and given, and we're so grateful. We're asking the Lord to bless you and Randy in this transition time to give you rest, peace, and joy, and prosperity, Lord. And we, let me just pray. I'm kind of praying and talking at the same time. Uh, and so, Lord, we just are, are believing for your blessing over this couple and their transition. Lord, they have served us, this community, uh, in, in these counties so uh, unselfishly. We pray you bless them back in abundance, Lord God, in every way, Lord Jesus. And, Father, we know that the beauty of the Lord is in Miss Marty. We've seen it in, in countless ways over the years. So, Lord God, we know that you have something for each one of us today. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to anoint our ears to hear, and then also anoint her words as she yields to you, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Stephen. I know exactly how this day's going to look. I'm glad that the, that the uh, kids are in here, some of the older ones, because you're going to cook the meal tonight, and then you're going to clear the table, and then you're going to let your mom stay on the couch all day, binge-watching Andy and Mayberry, your dad's going to clean up the whole mess. That's how it's going to look. Right? Amen. Amen. That's how it's going to look. I just told you. Uh, I was in junior high when I asked my dad. We were in the kitchen one day, and I said, I don't, know, I don't even remember what holiday was coming up, but I said, Dad, who, ma- who makes up all these holidays? Who, who does that? And immediately he said, Hallmark, so they can sell more cards. Now, with my dad, you don't have to make up stories. He was a very funny guy, but that's what he said. Now, before I dig into today's message, and I feel like God has something for, for really for all of us, but, um, you know, we need to be cognizant of the fact that a day like today is not a day of uh, real happy feelings for a lot of people. Um, we have to understand that there are some that their mothers are no longer with them, and so that feels like a whole... Um, there are some that have relationships with their, with their mom that maybe aren't the best, and so um, that can hurt. Um, we have people in this room today who have not only buried children, they have buried grandchildren, and so it can be a time that's hard. So I'd, I'd like to pray for those, for those uh, before I even start. Uh, Father, I pray for those who need to hear uh, uh, something that's going to bring... A grace, a, not grace, but it'll bring peace to their spirits. Father, it's grace, your amazing grace that gets people through difficult times like that. And there are no words really that we can say except that we love you all and, and we want you to have um, a peace today and good memories today about situations. Uh, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will bring a grace that just gives them peace that's just inexplicable. inexplicable and that it's restorative to them. 
Father, I pray that you will use this time today to bring healing and encouragement. And we ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Boy, you know, uh, moms and grandmothers and aunts and dads and everybody else who got involved in COVID University from kindergarten all the way up to college campuses, you have really had an interesting year, haven't you? We all have, but trying to flip between we're in school, we're out of school, we're in school, we're out of school, that's, that's been huge. So if you're in this room, you've survived it. You're inhaling and exhaling, and so that's good. And we can only hope that this is going to turn a corner for everybody. Relentless is a good word to describe this past year. And that's a word that we're going to hang on today. I like it. It's a moxie word. It can have negative or positive connotations depending on what the circumstances are. But for today, here's the definition that we're going to be using. Relentless. Mr. Webster says it's persistent. It is unstoppable, and it shows no signs of surrender. No signs of surrender. So that sounds like moms and motherhood to me. My first experience with motherhood left me devastated. We lost our first baby, and that was a feeling of loss that I'd never had before that and not after it. But before it went on, uh, we were pregnant again, and I can remember my very dear friend, Mohammed Shams, putting his hand on my big belly and saying, Sis, I wish I knew what that was like. <laughs> you know, it's pretty awesome that we humans get invited by God to share the miracle of miracles to me, the creation of a human life. It's joyous, it's intense, it can melt your heart, and it's daily. We found that out real quickly. It is daily. When they handed Vivian to me for the first time, I was just, I just felt like I was drenched with the seriousness of all of this. I mean, I just looked at her and I thought, oh my goodness, I need to keep this thing hydrated and everything. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. Now, the back in the day pregnancy kids announced your situation like this. You had a little white disc and if a blue cross A blue plus sign came up, that meant you were pregnant. If a blue negative sign came up, you were not pregnant. Now, it was almost immediately after I got home with Vivian that I realized that that blue plus was really a cross because I was going to find out that it was going to bring, this experience was going to take the word sacrificial to a whole new level, a whole new level. It was a prophetic sign and that I would be at the cross daily. No matter how many children you hold for the first time, each little new face represents a totally different journey from all the other little faces that you've seen for the first time. So besides birthing, you are a 24-hour first responder, you're a 24-7 life support system, and you also have to be a psychologist because every one of those children is different, and you need to know that. Because as you go through this, Freddie ain't going to be like Miriam, and Miriam ain't going to be like Sally, and Sally's not going to be like Chester. All these differences you get to balance so that you don't ruin them with false expectations. And never mind the fact that until they're really like older in grade school, they don't even know you have a real name. They just think your name is Mom! <laughs> Vivian, let's see, Vivian was... Now let me start. I can always do it better if I go backwards. Uh, Chase was five, Lindsay was eight, Vivian was ten. Road trip, coming back from Williamsburg, Virginia, 
with my mom, who was the best road trip woman ever. I'm driving, she's navigating life, and the kids are all in the back. When we pulled up in the alley in back of our house, my mom said, don't anybody get out. And she pulled out a piece of paper that I'd seen her fiddling with, and she said, children, you have said the word mom over 50 times since we got in this car in Williamsburg. And she said, you simply have to do better than that. (laughs) She actually kept a tally. (laughs) I I kept the tally for a while. Well, I'm 39 years down the road from from the blue plus sign. And you know the ad on TV, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Well, that's where I feel like I am after all this time of working with families, my own family, and lots and lots of other families. Uh, I've seen a few things. But I want to tell you something. It's been a real curveball that's been thrown to families this year. It really has. And I would like to focus on three four-word sentences that I hope will encourage you. Now, these sentences, when I say them, you're going to go, well, we already know that. I know that. But sometimes at our pace that we keep in the pressure cooker pace that comes with this culture, we can forget. Here's the sentences. Nobody's, nobody has a perfect family. Moms don't know everything. And life's not always fair. That's just, that's just the truth. Those are easy to remember. Nobody's, per, nobody's family is perfect. And moms don't know everything. And life is not always fair. Now, you know, on your Facebook you know, you've got people in your threads that, that don't actually present the truth. You know, you've got Lulu Bell. She's out there every day. She's on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. And she thinks her family is perfect. She thinks she knows everything. And life is always fair to her. So, you know, sometimes, you know, with all of that, you can start to think, Maybe I wonder what's wrong with my life. But, you know, it's just the truth. Those sentences are just the truth. And I've got, I've got three moms from the Bible that we're going to look at today. Because to me, I think that they just exemplify uh, relentless in ways that can teach us. Even though there's, you know, not the same culture, not the same time. But these women have a story to tell. So to go with our first picture, uh, our, first, no, our first sentence that nobody... Nobody's family is perfect. We're going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, and I I just tend to do this a lot, whether I'm looking at art or reading or what, I I try to put myself in the place of somebody that's in that that picture, uh, that's in the account that I'm reading. So, uh, of course, Mary's pregnancy announcement uh, was, was not a little blue plus. It was an angel that shows up in her town, that shows up in her yard, that shows up in front of her saying, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, you know, that would be different in your day, even back then. But we know right off the bat that Mary is favored. God knows her. She's been in communion with him, and he's been in communion with her. You know, when he designed the salvation plan for mankind, he didn't just pick a name out of a hat. This was his only son coming to earth for a very crucial, difficult life. 
So he knew exactly who he wanted to pick. You know, she must have already been in the habit of inquiring of him because he knew her. So I would like for us to look at Luke chapter 1. But when she saw him, meaning the angel, she was troubled at his saying, and she considered, what manner of greeting is this? Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You are going to bring forth a child from your womb. It's going to be a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He will be called son of the highest. And he, God's going to give him the throne of his father David. He's going to reign forever over the house of Jacob. And his kingdom will, come, will not have an end. So this is going to, uh, this is going to be eternal. So Mary, with a peak curiosity, said, well, I don't know, how's this going to happen because I don't even know a man. Holy Spirit's got this. He's got this covered. You're going to be overshadowed, and um, the power of God is going to be with you. It's going to be on you. So then Mary interestingly says this statement, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed. Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Oh, she knew exactly who she was. She knew exactly who he was. She knew that that word from that angel could be trusted. She's leaned in before. God's leaned into her. There's a history here. So she could say, let it be to me according to your word. Then we go flying through a lot of events, and, and, and just miraculous. She goes to Elizabeth. She goes, and then when she gets back, Joseph is, God's been speaking to Joseph. He's cool with all of this. Then here comes the census. Then there's no room in the inn. Then the baby's born. Then the angels are blowing up the sky with all the singing. The shepherds come. Then the shepherds leave to go tell the story. So that by the time we get to Luke 2.19... It says she treasured up all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. I like the way another translation said it, that she thought about these things often. Now, this is a, this is a very dramatic entrance into motherhood. Well, I guess all of them are dramatic. But, I mean, nothing like this. I mean, this is the Son of God. This is her first child. And she, all of this that's just transpired, she's holding it close. She's going to hold that close. She is persistent. She's unstoppable. And there's no signs of surrender with her. Now, parents, let me ask you this. What words have been spoken over your children? What are the great works of the Lord that your family has already experienced? Do your children know those words? Do they know all of those experiences? You know, sometimes these things can just end up between you and the Lord, or they can end up between you and and your, your husband. But it's really important that kids that kids know that family story. Uh, when our three kids were living at home, at different times, they had had words spoken over them. And uh, right right here, right up here. And <clears throat> I just felt like the Lord wanted me to get a picture of them 
and get the word printed out underneath there and I put them in frames for each one of the children and they were right up that first steps that goes to that first landing at our house. And those kids had to, they walked past those words that had been spoken over them every single day of their life, multiple times of their life. I just felt like the Lord wanted those right there where they could see them. And there were times when I referred to them And it is amazing how I can look at their lives now and those words that were spoken here. And young people, listen, the the young girl that spoke a word over Chase, she couldn't have been more than 17 years old. She was in in the youth group and everybody was in the service that day. And, And she came right up and spoke that word over Chase. He was just a little kid. And if you, if you read it now, it's exactly where he is. So, I think that um, from uh, little people all the way to adult children, moms, your family journey is crucial to share. And remembering and gratitude are the bricks of building relentless faith. Not just for you, but for them as well. It's a good thing Mary treasured all those things in her heart because times were going to be hard. Now I'm asking you now to kind of flip a little bit and I want you to put yourself in the place of Jesus' siblings. Every household wants a perfect child in it. But only one ever got it. (laughs) So, I want you to think about the kids. Excuse me. The word tells us in Mark and also Matthew that Jesus had four half-brothers and at, at, uh, at least two sisters. The brothers were James and Joseph and Jude and Simon. And the sisters are unnamed. Now, of course, from the word, we don't know details of what those relationships are like. So I just want to just kind of think out loud. This kind of stuff rolls through my head when I'm reading the word. You know, to do the math, that's seven kids. That's a lot of children in a, in a, modest, a modest home, a modest income. And there is nothing in here that indicates to us that Mary went screaming into Joseph's carpentry shop and said, right now, make me seven timeout chairs. And he knew better than to say, we only need six because Jesus is perfect. (laughs) We don't see that. But what was it like? What was it like? You know, Jesus was born and Jesus grew up just like other kids. He didn't enter into this whole thing knowing everything before he could even talk. He went to school, he played with other kids, he learned from his family life, he hung out with his dad, he ended up a carpenter. I doubt that Jesus was stirring up strife with other kids in the town. I think he was an obedient child, I think he was a good friend, he was probably a really good carpenter. But what, what what did the siblings, what did those siblings see? If they had a checklist, they could go, yes, schoolwork, check, he did all that without any arguing. Helping old ladies carry baskets out in town, check, he does that all the time. He hangs us up, we can't ever get anywhere fast. Not never cheating in a game of marbles with the other kids, check, he never did that. Finding him, uh, finding him at the age of 12, astounding the rabbis in the temple with his teaching, check. But that was pretty unusual. That was pretty unusual. At some point along the way, they had to have known that their big brother was not like the rest of the pack. 
Now, maybe it was all good until the miracles started. That's probably where it could have gotten difficult. His public ministry, when it began, it's, you know, thought that Joseph was probably already gone, that he wasn't here. Well, now Jesus is going to be gone. He's out on foot. Disciples are being called. There's miracles. There's teaching. The world is being rattled by him. But back on the home front... Isn't the oldest maybe supposed to be the lead dog and taking care of a widowed mother? What was going on in the other six minds? Okay, he got baptized, and then he was in the desert for 40 days. I mean, we haven't really seen him a whole lot. Now he's moved to Capernaum. Maybe the, shop, maybe the carpentry shop is all history now. I don't know. We don't know that. But I do know, <clears throat> in my spirit... To hear the cynics babbling all the time in the church leadership versus Big Brother, those, those uh, times that they came together and some of the eruptions that went with that. You know, think about this. If, if your brother went through town calling church leadership a brood of vipers and whitewashed fences, I mean, even if you were with him 100%, wouldn't you be looking for a place to hide? I think I would have. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. It says that when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many people who heard him were amazed. Where does he get this? Where does he get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that's been given to him? What about these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this, isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Jude and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters right here with us? What's up with this guy? They might have been thinking, well, his family's just riffraff like the rest of us. How's he doing all of these things? And they took offense at him. How did that make the family feel? How did that make Mary feel? The whole town, hometown is taking offense at him. Instead of rejoicing that God had picked a local to save the world from their sins, they're all mad. Jesus couldn't even believe their lack of faith. It might have to be uncomfortable. Did this tension cause Mary to ponder these things in her heart? Maybe this was all part of what Simeon meant in Luke when he said to Mary that a sword would pierce her own soul too. Family tension. Remember, she wasn't God. Her son was God. The brothers and sisters weren't God. The son was God. And this was her family, and she's sailing this alone. There's a lot about the sibling picture that we don't know, but this we do know for sure. In John 7, it says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go to Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. It was the time of the uh, Feast of the Tabernacles, and so Jesus' brothers say to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works. Verse 4 and verse 5 are really killers. No, they said, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Just think about that, saying that to him. Like all of this was just clownery so that he could get his name out there. 
No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. So since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5 said, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Every home lives with tension. Some of it could have been today, just trying to get everybody out the door for church. It can be a grandchild on drugs. It can be SAT scores and trying to pick the right college. It can be finding out about the affair. Every family has tension. Do your kids bust on each other? I heard it a time or two. Do they get jealous of each other? Working moms, this has been, this has been a rough year. Do you feel like you've missed the mark? And do you find yourself just thinking of all the things that fell through the cracks? I hear this term every once in a while now on Facebook. Even Lindsay will say it sometimes. Mom fails. You know, well, that was a mom fail. Sometimes we can roll mom fails over in our head a lot. I know I did. I know I did. When I, was in the, when I was in the throes of the kids being at home and in high school and stuff and, and working with two different congregations of kids, there were mom fails. And let me tell you, your head hits that pillow at night, that's the first thing the enemy wants to bring up. What you didn't do. What you're not good at. Don't be so hard on yourself. Think about this. Where did this fall on a 1 to 10 scorecard for parenting? Mary and Joseph, were, they had walked for one whole day before they even knew Jesus wasn't with them. And then it, they had to walk back. I'm sure Mary was reviewing a lot of things on that walk back. And then it took three days to find him. That's a mom stress for you. That happened today. Social services would be on the hotline. But let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not busting on them. You can ask Randy, you can ask Roger Gaines how many times I left this church on a Sunday after I was done cleaning up and thinking that Randy had the kids. And poor, bless their hearts. I can, I, if Hank and Willard didn't live back there at that house or if they hadn't been home, I don't know how they would have gotten home. This was before cell phones. I'd hear Chase's voice on the phone. Mom... Where are you? They go out there to play ball and stuff like that. And I didn't, I just figured Randy had him. And I was taking ginkgo biloba at that time. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers. Here's our, here's our mom challenge from Mary. Mary had phenomenal things spoken to her about her baby's calling and the place that he was going to have in the world. Well, you know what? You, you have too. A lot of you have too. That people, that people are spoken over your children and, and, you know, hang on to those things. Because when things get horrible, which they're bound to at one time or another, you're going to treasure those things in your heart. You're going to think, okay, this don't have to make a mountain out of a molehair. I know that this isn't going to last forever. Um, I've had gotten this idea that I want to get these little journals to do with the kids. Uh, when we get out to Colorado, just when they come to my house, so we can just have some time where they can reflect or draw. Bryn loves to write, you know, just put down things. Okay, where did we see God this week? You know, just put those things down. Because that that kind of stuff can chart the legacy of relentless faith, not just for your, for your immediate family, but for generations, for generations. 
Okay, the second sentence. Moms don't know everything. Well, let me tell you, I didn't, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two things that are from my dead wrong category. And there's hundreds of things in the dead wrong categories. I'm only going to give two. Vivian was a sophomore in high school. And she came into the kitchen one night. And I'm trying to get dinner together and everything. And she tells me that she knows that Jesse Cox is going to be her husband. To which I said, Vivian, will you go upstairs and do your homework? That's exactly how I said it. She's probably, she, she watches it, she'll go. It was worse than that. It was way worse than that. But see, I was coming from, you know, I didn't even meet Randy until I was 28 years old. So I just thought that our kids would, you know, travel and do all the things that I did before they got into a relationship. So, you know, to me, to have her come down and tell me that she's going to marry Jesse Cox when she's 15, it had nothing to do with Jesse. I didn't even know Jonathan met met a man once or twice. But I I thought, you know what, there's a good chance that she's nuts. (laughs) There they are. They are nuts, both of them. And that picture was just taken a couple of years ago. dead wrong. She knew exactly what she was talking about. (laughs) Bless her hearts. I love them both so much. We're moving on purpose to be around that. Yeah, we are. We're moving on purpose to be around that. They They are wonderful. But, you know, I just pictured in my head that uh, things would just be later. Then our daughter, Lindsay, she attended physician's, uh, physician's assistant school at Drexel University in Philadelphia. So right before her finals, she goes into a Starbucks to study there and have coffee. She asked the barista, do you all have a military discount? She was Air Force. And he said, no, but I'll buy your coffee. So about a week late, two days, I don't know, she called us and said that she had gone back to the Starbucks This is the first we even knew she had met this guy. She goes back to the Starbucks, and he's not there, so she leaves him a note with her name and her phone number and asking him out on a date. I would just... Okay, parents, you know how sometimes when you're on the phone with your adult kids... And they say something, you know, they're talking about something and you think, oh dear God, they're not really considering this. But you can pull it off because you're not on FaceTime. I pulled it off during that conversation. As soon as we hung up, Randy went back to reading the newspaper and I just went off. I went into four different shades of banshee. She's lost her mind. She doesn't have any idea who this guy is. We don't know his family. She's just under too much stress. I I just went crazy. And then I said, why aren't you saying anything to Randy? He pulled back the paper and he said, Marty, I choose to believe in the God who I know lives in Lindsay." Dead wrong. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And Tony knows I adore him. Okay. Moms don't know everything. 
As Jesus stepped into his public ministry, he walked along the Sea of Galilee, and he extended an invitation to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, to, to uh, follow him. So they immediately dropped what they were doing, left their dad there, and they went and, he, they went and joined the ranks. You know, do you remember back when you were really reading the Bible for the first time? I remember reading that and I thought, come on, guys. You're just going to leave your dad there and just go take off. <laughs> but I understand now. And besides, I found out even since then that somebody had hired, he had hired help and that it was really kind of an honor if your sons were under the tutelage of a rabbi. So they were on board. And then at some point, his mother, Salome, embraced the son, their son's uh, spiritual leader because Mark tells us that when Jesus was in Galilee that um, Salome and, and some other women would uh, see to it that Jesus had everything that he needed. So um, those gals were relentless. I would use relentless for them. I mean, think about it. There were, it would have been easy and pretty understandable if they just thought, you know what, I think I'll just stay home today because... You know, they tried to throw him off a cliff yesterday, and the Pharisees are always bouncing on him, and that's uncomfortable. And then the Jews are planning on killing him. Maybe I've done enough. I think God's calling me to something else. I mean, that, it was dangerous. It, it was dangerous to hang around and be known in that group. So she could have said all that, but if she lived in, in Galilee, which she did, she also saw guys tearing a roof in a hole and bringing a paralyzed guy down to get healed. She saw the lepers. She saw driving out spirits. 33 miracles in Galilee. And she would have been right there in the hub of all of that. Now, you know, who wouldn't want their son to have an official elevated position in that ministry? So when we see her pushing up her sleeves and going relentless... She's going to take her sons and plop right down in front of Jesus and she's going to plead their case. There's only one problem. She doesn't know everything. What she's picturing in her head is not what it's going to look like for real. So in Matthew 20, it says, The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something of him. And he said, What do you wish? And she said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. Sounds like a good plan. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you ask. You don't know what you're asking. And then directing to the sons, do you think that you can take, be a part of the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Can you drink from that cup that I'm about to drink from? And of course they said, yes, we're able. Salome, he was not talking about a baptism where your sons are going to come up out of the water saved, refreshed, and all of that. He was talking about a sacrificial baptism that was going to be so drastic that Jesus was going to be hanging from a cross in the lowest of positions, naked and full of blood. See, it's not exactly, Salome, how you're picturing in your head. 
when the garden rock rolls, they're all going to circle back. You would have been there to see it. You were there. You, you would see me talking to one of your sons. But the other son who said that he could drink from the cup, he's going to be long gone with the other disciples. But when he came back, he was going to hang with them for a while. But when he was gone, it was going to be up to them. They were the ones that were going to have to build the founda- on the foundation. They were the ones who were going to have to be so in tune to the Holy Spirit and act not before they were prompted. They were the ones who were going to step up to a baptism of fire. They were also the ones who were going to be a part of a church that was going to grow and grow and grow, but so was the persecution. Salome probably wasn't picturing that one of her sons would be stoned to death and that the other one was going to be stuck on an island for years. Now, do you think that she got up and dusted herself off and said, uh, never mind? No. She was persistent. There's no signs of surrender in her. She was unstoppable. She was at the crucifixion. When everybody else cleared out, she was at the crucifixion. She was at the grave. In fact, in Mark's account, she went in the grave that morning. Now, think about that. Two days, after, two days after all of this stuff went down, she walked right into that grave to see for herself. That's relentless. That's relentless. Most moms want to see their kids succeed, you know, and sometimes we'll even jockey around for position for them, you know, well, if they go to this school, they'll be able to do that. If they're with this coach, they'll be able to do that. Not all, but many moms know, and a lot of moms right in this room know that God can orchestrate what your child's life is going to look like. Jesus said that it was God who was doing the preparing for the positions. God is doing the same thing for you. He's doing the same thing for your grandchildren. But it may not be exactly how we picture it in our heads. When I think of the stuff that Chase got in trouble for. It was exactly what God had wired him for. I just didn't realize it at the time. That kid never had a fear of heights, ever. When he was in first grade, I got back from a conference in Nashville, nine o'clock at night. Yes, it's true. It was a school night and Randy Brown was in charge. I had to get that in there. They loved it when I left. Chase is up in a tree and down the branch of this tree are disposable pie pans and he was up pretty high and I said hey bud what's going on what are you doing and he said I got to keep the squirrels out okay then there was a phone call from Vivian Chase is out on the roof and he won't come in then there was a night that Bob Anderock came into father's love for dinner and he said Chase ever tell you about the night that he got kind of I had to get on him a little bit and I thought no, Bobby, he never told me about those nights when somebody had to get on him a little bit. I said, no, what happened? And he said, well, he got up on our roof and then he took a run and he, he dove into our swimming pool, but he had to clear the patio to do that. I was like, thank you, Bob. No, there's a lot that I didn't know. And for some of the things I found out, if I hadn't been married to Randy Brown, I'd still be serving time in Pee Wee Valley. He hung out on helicopters on a tactical response force for the Air Force for six years. 
And now he works for Addison, which is a construction company that does substations and transformers. He's around transformer sites. So now, as you see on the left, he's still up in the heights, taking a picture up that high in a boom. I, oh, mom loves pictures like that. <laughs> it makes me a wreck. He'll call and say, guess what happened at work today? And I go, oh, look, talk to your dad. I don't know. Now, I don't want to hear all that stuff. And now he's added on the right, he's added electricity to the, to the thrills. So he works around electricity all day long. And he was, he was just promoted to supervisor. And I'm not saying that to break on him because, moms, I want to tell you something. I brought one of his favorite things with me today. This golf club. Jody, he did not play golf with this. <laughs> he, just, he just struggled with school. It was not, and by the time he got to senior year, the first day of senior year, he wanted it over. And so, you know, he just had to, okay, Chase, keep this going. I would say to him, just graduate from high school. Just graduate from high school. One night when he was supposed to be finishing his last paper of his senior year, I go to bed, I come back down, and at 1.30 at in the morning, the Coke is still sitting by the computer, and there's no signs that anything's been done to finish that paper. Back door's wide open, I go out there, I go, Chase, Chase. And he pops up, you know, from the backyard next door, and he goes, what? <laughs> like I'm nuts. I said, what are you doing? You've got to finish this paper. And he said, Mom, I'm out here trying to get this possum. That is what this was all about. Now, Peter will have to call me tomorrow, and I'll be glad to give you his phone number. That's what the, that's what the golf club was all about, getting the possums. Mm-mm-mm. To see where he was there, I, I, did not, I never, ever would have guessed that. If you had told me 15 years ago that this is where he was going to land and prosper and get promoted, I would have said, electricity, you are crazy. So we just don't know. Okay. The last sentence, life is not always fair. Every mom wants her kids to get a fair shake. And I'm not talking about Lulu Bell blowing up Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram about how her kids are always being mistreated by adults. And then the, the 200 people that respond and say what she said. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about just a, a fair shot. I'm going to introduce you to this woman from the Old Testament who's the poster child for relentless. To me, she is a mother with one of the saddest tales ever, and there was just nothing that she could do to to help the situation. It's a gut-wrenching quest for dignity. And what, how it ends is going to be a small part of history, but it certainly isn't going to help her heart any. She was beautiful. She was a concubine to King Saul and the mother of two of his children, Armani and Mephibosheth, not to be confused with the Mephibosheth that, uh, that uh, David took in after Jonathan's death. Now, before I can tell her story, you have to know these two historical facts. The first one is that 400 years before this story rolls out, Joshua was deceived by the Gibeonites and he, they, they had disguised themselves in order to get a protective treaty from Israel. Joshua did not consult God 
He believed their story. He did not consult with the Lord before the treaty was agreed upon and ratified by the community of Israeli leaders. All in the name of the Lord. They put the name of the Lord in there. So it was a rock-solid deal that the Gibeonites were not to be touched by Israel. Secondly, in the midst of all of the wars going back and forth between King uh, Saul and David, Saul launched a bloodbath against the Gibeonites in trying to purge them from the land. So we need to know those two things uh, before. Now, in 2 Samuel 21, it says that there was a famine in David's time. It had gone on year after year after year, and so David sought the Lord, asking, you know, what, is there something here that I need to know? What, what, what's going on here? And God said, this is because there is blood on Saul and his house from the time that he massacred the Gibeonites. So David, you know, he was like, well, all right, we've got to do something about this. And Saul can't be involved because Saul's dead. So David gathered the Gibeonites for a consultation, and he said to them, what can we do? What, what, what can I do about this? How can we compensate you for this? And they said, well, we don't want war with you. And it's not about getting money. This is what we want. The man who tried to get rid of us and who schemed to wipe us off the face of the map, let us have seven of his sons to be handed over for execution and hanged before God on the holy mountain. And David said, all right, that's what you want. That's what you're going to get. Now, I can't even imagine who was the one that would have to go tell Rizpah that this involved her children. You know, how, how, do, you, how do you tell somebody this? You know, you, you can't cloak it like, well, we're having a little Saul family reunion over on a hillside one night. We'd like to invite your, your two kids and five of the others. So, I mean, I just, my, my heart breaks for this woman because here, here's, here's why, you know, probably in, in David's eyes, he thought, well, this is the best solution because they don't want war with us. That's awesome. And so is, this is going to only involve seven people, seven people, and um, that would be the better way for it to go. But why would you think that this mother would think that this was unfair? First of all, David, her husband's enemy, got to pick who in Saul's household was going to die. And I guess David's the king, and so he has the power to do that. But to her, it probably would be unfair because his Mephibosheth wasn't going, and that Mephibosheth would have been earlier in the line than hers. But David said no. David said no, because he had an agreement with Jonathan, Jonathan or with, uh, with that Mephibosheth, and he was going to be protected. So that would seem unfair. And she may be thinking, okay, to ask for justice against Saul through his descendants, that violates Deuteronomy 24, 16. Parents should not be put to death for their children, or children put to death for their parents. Each person gets put to death for their own sin. So that's not fair. 
And then five of them would have been way too young to even know what any of this was about at the time that this happened. But nevertheless, David turned them over and the, Gibe- the Gibeonites did their thing. So those, young, those men died on that hillside. Hanging. Now, for David, it might have been, well, okay, it's raining. Okay, things are good. We can all live in peace now. Everybody may be except for one, and that was Rispa. Rispa took a burlap sackcloth and went out and spread it on a rock right, right out there at the scene, right in front of those bodies that are hanging. And from the beginning of harvest until the heavy rains, she kept the birds away from those bodies by day and the wild animals away by night. For months, she was out there swinging a stick through the air, bird feathers flying everywhere. Her children did not have a proper burial, which strikes against Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. When a man has committed a capital crime, being given a death sentence and executed and hung from a tree, don't leave that dead body hanging overnight. So to her... None of this was fair. We never know who's watching us. I'm sure there's people that pass by there and thought, she has totally lost it. It's just pathetic. She's lost it. But somebody somewhere along the line had to go and have have empathy for her because the word got back to David that she had been there for all of this time. So David decided that it was that what he needed to do was to get those bodies down get the remains of Saul and Jonathan and he saw to it that they were taken to Benjamin uh, Saul's land and put in Saul's father's tomb at least she got that if she hadn't been relentless and stayed there swinging the sticks at the animals, those bodies just could have hung there forever until they were totally decomposed, totally gone. Sad story for a mama to go through. Unfair, unfair, unfair. We hear it from the first time our kids go out to play with others in the neighborhood. They go out the back door, they come in the front door, something's scrapped up, somebody's not being fair. It's always been around and it always will. From the beginning of time, the beginning of the creation of human beings, there's been unfair. Cain and Abel, Joseph and his brothers, Leah and Rachel, Judas in the garden, nine lepers going off with no thanks, disciples running from the cross. There's a lot in life that's not fair. And the book doesn't promise that it's going to be fair. Moms... Grandmothers, every unfair is not a battle. Some are just teachable moments in which we have to guide our kids, help them pull up their big kid britches, and just go back out, forgive, and move on. But some of the unfair is legit, and we need to lead them through that and teach the difference. They're going to need to know when to stand. Even as children, they need to know when to stand. And that's going to take relentless faith. That's what we need to impart to them. 
Rispa's challenge to us is this. It's simple and yet it's so difficult to accept. Sometimes, in some circumstances, there is absolutely nothing that we have in our power that we can do. Nothing. There's no way she could have saved her sons. But, like her, sometimes we have to take our sackcloth, lay it down on the rock, and wait for the king to act because he hears our cries. He hears our cries. So, quick review. Nobody's family is perfect. Moms, you don't know everything and you don't have to because the master planner has got all this. And lastly, life's not always fair. But there's a savior who can handle all of it. I've been blessed to be able to be in this church for years, 30 years. And I've seen a lot of families in here. And, and, and some of the ones that I were with, we actually raised kids together. I'm looking at Don O'Neill. We were, we were all in this together when the kids were small and up. If you feel like maybe you, you need a spiritual mama to come alongside you, don't be afraid to ask. There's a lot of spiritual mamas in this church. There's a lot. And sometimes we just need somebody that we can bounce things off of, especially when we've had a hard time like this last year. Don't be afraid to ask. Father, I just ask you to just bless all of the families that are represented here. I know I've been talking to the moms, but Father... I I know that the fathers that are here, the ones who are helped, Father, the single moms who are here, Father, you just send your Holy Spirit to guide and to direct with, with such confidence for them that they will not doubt the things that they have to make decisions on in the lives of their families. Father, we ask you to be present every day in these homes. We ask for just your presence to be there in the good times, the bad times. And Father, help us to ponder in our heart, to treasure up in our hearts, whether our kids are little or whether they're adults, the beauteous things that you have done. And then let your Holy Spirit just keep bringing that back up, keep bringing that back up, so that when hard times hit, we have the peace of knowing that you are the one who is putting all of us into our positions. Father, we thank you for this day. Bless these moms with just a, a restful day today. In Jesus' name.